Okay, we are ready to begin. This week's Pasha is uh, Pasha's Dvarim. So the topic that we are going to talk about is, interesting topic, is going to be on whether or not a parrot's testimony, meaning a bird, a parrot's testimony is sufficient for uh, proof of ownership. That's one discussion we're going to have. And the other discussion we're going to have is... Um, is whether or not a lie detector test is sufficient for uh, proof in Torah whether somebody is telling the truth or somebody is lying. Now, how are we going to get to that? So in this week's Parsha, there's a Sifri, which we mentioned last year. The uh, Torah says in chapter 1, verse number 11, the, um, verse uh, 16, the Torah says, Moshe Rabbeinu relates the suggestion that Yisrael made to him to split up the judgment to different court systems uh, of the Jewish people when they came to law, when they came to disputes. And the Pasuk says, I took the heads of your, of your tribes, Anoshim Chachamim, people who are of uh, wise, this is Pasuk Tezvav, the Yaduim, people who are knowledgeable, the Etanoshim Aleichem, and I've placed them as, as heads of you. Sorry, Alafim, ones are in charge of thousands. The Sari Meos, ones are in charge of hundreds. The Sari Hamishim, ones in charge of, of uh, fifty. The Sari Asaurus, ones in charge of tens. The Shotrim, the Shoftechim, and also wants to carry out the law. Next passage says, and I have commanded your judges, to say like this, Shemoah ben Achechim, listen between the brothers, this is what I commanded you, Ushvatatem Tzedek. Make sure you judge Tzedek, make sure you judge justice. Ben Ish ben Achiv, between a man and his brother, Uben Gero, and, um, okay, between, between his, between his Ger. So here the Sufri says, what does this mean, Ushvatatem Tzedek, you shall judge judgment? Sufri says, Tzedek b'tzitkoi, the Sufri is a medrash. Taiveo may be riot. He has to bring proof. Zeroitif bitalisa, a person, let's say, puts on a, a garment. And this one says it's mine. And the other one says it's mine. Another person is plying with a cow. And the person says, one person says it's mine. And the other person says it's mine. The person is sitting inside a house. This one says it's mine. Or this one has the field. So what should you do? It says a shvatatam tzedek. And this expression tells you you should judge. Judge justice. Tzadik betiskoi, betidkoi, a righteous person with his with with his judgment. Toivea, he can claim in court. Umedi rayos, and he has to bring proof in that court. That's what it says. So that's our that's that's our connection to our discussion. Bringing proof of ownership. Okay. So the case that we have in Vaevna, the safe writer for Abizik Zilberstein, in this week's pasha. Uh, after he quotes the Sufi, he has a couple of cases in here, and here he has uh, uh, the following question. The question is like this: There was a story with a Jew. His name was Adam. 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 His name was Adam. That was his name. Adam. First name. So he was walking on the street, and suddenly he heard somebody calling him Adam. Adam. Until he heard somebody calling him. What did he do? He went and he checked. And he saw that the noise was coming from, uh, from a yard. And in the yard, there was a tukey. There was a parrot. 
and the parrot was calling, uh, he, he came close, and he realized that the parrot was calling his name. It was calling uh, him Adam. So, as he got closer, and he realized that he recognized that the parrot that's speaking is his parrot. Because he had a parrot that was speaking, that was stolen from him a few weeks ago. So he turned to the owner of the house and he said, This is my Tuki. This is my parrot. And you have to return it to me. So the, the owner of the home said, The owner of the home said, I would never steal somebody else's property. I would never do something like this. However, I bought this Tuki, I bought this Tuki in the store. And it's mine. So, with who can we say the fact that these, this Tuki, this parrot, was calling the person walking on the street by his name, is that sufficient proof of ownership that it is his? They come into the rabbinical court with these claims. Is there such a thing as having a Tuki to be proof of ownership, because a Tuki repeats what he hears from others, and he must have heard Adam from uh, his owner, or his alleged owner, and he must have heard Adam from his alleged owner, and therefore, um, maybe it's proof, it's sufficient to say that uh, the fact that the Tuki was calling him by his name, that, it, that it's mimicking his voice. And therefore, it's his, it's his uh, parrot. Is that sufficient proof or not? That's the question. No, Bruce says no. Bruce puts his, his, his uh, ballot in the no box. Okay. So, the first thing is, there is the tuki, the parrot, does make an appearance uh, in testimony in Shas. The, uh, he makes his appearance in Tractate Sota in Chapter 6. Very interesting appearance. It sounds like this. We all know that in Parshas Noso, the Torah tells us about the story of the Sota. The Sota is the wayward woman who allegedly rebels against her husband. So the husband, the basic is, as the Torah describes, the basic is, is that he gives her a warning not to be secluded with a particular individual. And then if she becomes secluded with that particular individual for a specific period of time, then she becomes prohibited to her husband. So what does he do? He makes her drink the water to prove her innocence. In the base of there's a whole elaborate process of how that goes. And then the water proves on whether or not she is guilty or innocent. If she's guilty, she dies a terrible death, which is not our discussion for the moment. If she's innocent, she has a bracha and she has children. That's the uh, test. If he doesn't want to make her drink the water, then he can have the option to divorce her. Okay? So the Mishnah is talking about a case in chapter 6. is talking about a case of a person who warned his wife. Right? He warned his wife not to be secluded with a particular individual. The Mishnah says like this, the first Mishnah. And then she became secluded. Now the Mishnah says, how do we know that she became secluded? The Mishnah says, Even if she hears from a flying bird, even if he, I'm sorry, even if the husband hears from a flying bird that she became secluded with this individual, 
What happens? Yoytzi v'yitin ksuba. She is prohibited to him, and he has to divorce her and give her a get. Because it sounds like, it sounds like that this is sufficient proof, according to Rebbe Eliezer, to hear from a bird, to hear from a bird that she was secluded with this individual. He gave her a warning with witnesses not to be secluded with this particular individual, and she was secluded with this particular individual, and the testimony we have is from this bird, from a, a flying bird. So the Tzatharist Yisrael, in his commentary, says, what is Rebbe Eliezer talking about? What kind of flying bird is he talking about? says, Shishama Papagaya. He heard a Papagaya, which the, is the translation according to the Vayavna, a Papagaya is a parrot. He heard from a parrot that this woman was secluded. Shishama Ma'ay Papareach, I'm sorry, Shinistara V'derech Ha'oifahu. It is the way of this bird, Lachzer Uldaber, says it's first Israel, to repeat and to speak what it hears from other people. It mimics what people say. Therefore, this bird, since it's way to repeat what it says, so he heard also from the, so it must be that if the bird says that these two were together, I don't know exactly the information that the bird provided, but if this bird indicates that these two were together, then we must assume, says the Tzfer's Yisrael, that this bird heard from somebody else that these two people were together, and therefore, right, uh, it was repeating what it heard. And therefore, it's sufficient testimony for the bird to testify that these two people were secluded. Okay? So this is where the parrot makes its first appearance in the uh, tractate Sota. So according to this, according please to Rabbi Eliezer, we should say that at first glance, this is a proof that a bird who speaks is sufficient for testimony according to Torah law to testify about a particular occurrence uh, as proof that that occurrence actually occurred with the parties involved. Because we see that the woman becomes prohibited to her husband as a result of the testimony of this bird. Okay? However, this... So now, if we look at the picture a little bit more, we see... And I'm going to embellish what the Vayavna says. The, uh, if we look at the picture a little bit more, we see that it opens into that it's not so simple, this idea. Okay? So that's the opinion of Rabbi Yezer. Now, Rabbi Yeshua has a different opinion. He also expresses himself in a little bit of a strange manner. Rabbi Yeshua, I mean, Rabbi Yeshua says, as the Mishnah, What's that? So, uh, the Pharisee Israel says, and this is uh, this comes from the, the other world, the Mephoshim say, that it's women who are uh, doing thread, spinning thread to the light of the moon. And because they are afraid, so that first Israel, they get together and they're schmoozing. They start getting, they're gossiping. Says so, you sure no, she does not become prohibited to husband until the women start gossiping that she's hanging out with the individual that the husband warned that she should not hang out with. Until the women start gossiping that she's secluded with him in private, until then, they're allowed to stay together she's not prohibited to him. So what's this uh, dispute between Rabbi Leezer? Rabbi Leezer says a bird, a parrot. And uh, Rabbi Yeshua says the women are gossiping about this. So what, what are we talking about here? So Rashi in the, in the, in the Gemara, Tractate Sota, page 31a, 
the uh, the Bartanura here on the Tiferes Yisrael, they all explain the same thing. According to Rabbi Eliezer, there, there is a dispute between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua on what, what events do you need witnesses for. For the warning of his wife, you need witnesses. The question is, do you need witnesses also for the seclusion? So Rabbi Eliezer holds you don't need witnesses for the seclusion. And Rabbi Yeshua holds you do need witnesses for the seclusion. Therefore, since Rabbi Eliezer holds you don't need witnesses for the seclusion, in our Mishnah, he says that it's sufficient even to hear it from a bird. Not because Rabbi Eliezer is saying that, it's a, that, that a bird's testimony is considered good testimony. It's not that Rabbi Eliezer is saying that we need testimony. And a bird's testimony is just as good as a person's testimony. No. Rabbi Eliezer is saying we don't need testimony. And there, therefore any, pro, uh, anything that provides us with information, including a parrot, is sufficient to say that a woman is prohibited to her husband if she was secluded with him. Therefore, the bird, according to Rabbi Eliezer, is not testifying at all. That's Rabbi Eliezer's position. Rabbi Yeshua holds, you need witnesses for the seclusion. And since you need witnesses, even if a bird comes and says something, or even if the women are schmoozing, it's not enough. They need witnesses for her to become prohibited to him. However, Rabbi Yeshua holds that if it gets to the point where it makes the cover of People magazine, and people are schmoozing about it, then they have to separate, because then it's already not kishmak. Then it's already doesn't look good that everybody is talking that this woman is secluding with the man that husband warned her about. Therefore, Rabbi Yeshua holds that at that point already he has to, he has to divorce her but, or make her drink, but according to the strict letter of the law, she is permitted to him in any case. So, according to, therefore from this case, even according to Rabbi Eliezer, we cannot bring proof that a parrot's testimony is sufficient testimony because Rabbi Eliezer himself holds that it's not really testimony. It's just news that we hear in a case where we don't need testimony. But to add cell salt to the wound, if you look in the code of law, in Simon Kufayin Ches 178, number 11, in Evan Ezer, we don't even paskin like Rabbi Eliezer. The halacha, the law, does not follow Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. It follows Rabbi Shur's opinion. That you need witnesses. And therefore, according to halacha, if there is a bird, a tuki, a parrot that testifies about this woman that she is secluded, we don't listen to the bird at all. Because it's not witnesses. And therefore, since it's not witnesses, it's not sufficient. That's what it would seem, the halacha is. It has to get to the point where everybody's talking about it in order for it to be, in order for it to become a problem. That's what, uh, that's what the, that's where the bird, that's where the parrot makes its appearance in halacha. Therefore, we cannot conclude to our case that, of course, so now they have a dispute. This guy who was walking by, the, uh, this guy that was walking by, the yard, and he heard the alleged turkey, he heard the alleged parrot screaming his name. They are parroting his name. That's what he heard. So now he comes to the court and he says, this bird is mine because I had a bird which was stolen from me. I have a bird which is stolen from me. And um, I have a bird that was stolen from me. And this one must be mine because it's calling my name. And the other guy says, no, 
Another day. It's not true. It's my bird. I bought it in the store. I bought it in, uh, where is it? That's mine. Do they sell birds there? No. Yes? Okay. I bought a Walmart. I know they sell fish there in Walmart. I bought, I bought the bird. So what proof do you have? That the bird is calling your name? That's not sufficient. That's sufficient witness. You have to have the actual proof. You have to have witnesses to prove it. And how do you know you have to bring your witnesses? You have to prove it? It's a Gemara. The Gemara, we know, is all over Shas, but one of the main places it appears is on page 46A in Chakti Baba Kama. Chakti Baba Kama, the Gemara says, the famous Mishnah, we have an ox that gored a cow. And Venimsa we find a baby that was born, a calf, a dead calf that was born uh, on the side. We don't know whether the ox gored the cow before the cow gave birth or after the cow gave birth. We don't know whether it was a stillborn baby or whether the death was caused as a result of the as a result of the goring. We don't know. So the Gemara relates a dispute between Sumchas and the Rabbanon. Sumchas holds that whenever we have money in question, we divide it. But the Chachamim say, This is the law we have. If somebody wants to take money out of somebody else's pocket, then they have to bring proof. As they say, possession is nine-tenths of the law. If, I, if I'm holding something, if something is mine, if something is mine, so then, the, my I'm sorry, if I'm holding something, possession says it's mine. You want to take it out of my pocket? Bring proof that it's not mine. I'm wasting it. If somebody wants to take So therefore, you want to take this suki is in my yard. The parrot is in my yard. You want to bring proof that it's your... You want to take the parrot from me? Possession, I tend to the law. I don't care what the, the parrot says. You want to bring proof you know, it's yours? Bring proof. And that's what the Sufi says in our Pasha. The Sufi says in our Pasha. If somebody is sitting in a field, or if somebody is wearing a, a garment, and you want to say it's yours, bring a proof. You have to have tzedek. You have to have, that's what it means, ushvatatem uh, tzedek. You shall judge righteousness. You should judge justice. You have to have justice on your, on your side. It has to, the rule has to be in your court. You have to have proof that it's your possession. And if you don't have proof, uh, a bird is not sufficient as testimony. That's, that's it. With this, we can end the class. But I think we don't have enough time. Therefore, we have to talk another question. And uh, the, uh, the bear Moshe has an interesting uh, discussion about whether or not you can use a lie detector test to uh, to determine on whether somebody is lying or telling the truth. So we have this um, Rabbi Moshe Stern in his Bear Moshe, volume number seven, part two, number seventy nine, and number eighty has the following two questions like this. Question number one. Nishalti lie detector Biloshina Medina Hamagale im Echad Oim Shekel that it says one person is telling the truth, the other one is not. If it has a place in the walls of the Torah, as far as the defendant and the plaintiff are concerned, Adus testimony the Kyotzib is in all of these type of things. That's the question I have.
So, the first he points to a very interesting um, situation. And it's a Tysus in um, Tractate Yuma on page on page, 50, uh, page 54 that talks about the throne of Shlomo HaMelech. Now, there is a prohibition. There is a prohibition to make graven images of animals. Now, the details of that prohibition are not our discussion for this evening. But there is such a prohibition. That's what the case the Tosos is dealing with. The, the Tosos is dealing with are you allowed to make images, for example, on a book on a machzer, on a sitter, of, 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 of animals and birds, if that's, if that's the proper thing to do. That's a discussion of Tosa. That's a discussion. In the midst of that discussion, he asks a question, and the question is, I'm the Malkise Shlomo, I need to meet I have a question on the, on the, on, on the, on, on Shlomo Amalek's, on King Solomon's throne. The There were lions standing on the graven images of lions on Shlomo Melech's throne. That's what Jesus says. Vishnei Moshe Ayorim, there were twelve Ayorim. Now, that's what it says in Malachim 1, chapter 10. Now it says Tosos. You can't say it was a special exemption. Why? Why can't you say it was a special exemption? Because the Talmud tells us in Tractate Gitan that a prophet, that even if you're going to say King Solomon was a prophet, ain't a Navi is not allowed to add anything to the Torah. You're not allowed to do that, right? So perhaps maybe you'll say that it wasn't a special exemption, says Tosus. Maybe it's like Eli, the story of Elio on Mount Carmel, on Arkadam. So what did Elio do? Elio built an altar outside of the Beis Hamikdash, and that's prohibited. One is not allowed to build an altar outside of the Beis Hamikdash, right? And the whole story. He built an altar, and, and he challenged the, pri- the priests of the Baal, whose sacrifice is going to be accepted. The whole story. And the fire came down from heaven, accepted his sacrifice. How is he allowed to do that? So perhaps maybe he'll say the reason why he did that was because he wanted to bring the Jewish people back from idol worship. That's why he did it. So perhaps maybe he'll say that. And Shlomo Melch did that also. Why did Shlomo, what did Shlomo Melch do? Shlomo Melch wanted to scare the witnesses. How is he going to scare the witnesses? So when the witnesses came in front of Shlomo Melch to testify, you know what these lions did? The lions used to roar. Wasn't there were special lions? The story, the statue roared. The statue roared. So why did he do this? He also did it. He made a graven image, even though one is not prohibited, not one is not allowed to do a graven image. But he made the graven image in order in order to make sure that the testimony of the witnesses would be proper, that the testimony of the witnesses would uh, would be true. So he, the Torah says it says that in the Medrash because why the witnesses would be afraid and they would be afraid to contradict the lines because the lines would roar at them. And he quotes, he quotes a medrash that says that not only uh, the Be'er Moshe quotes a medrash in Yalkut Shimoni in the book of Esther, in one Simon Tov Tov Reish Vav, on the Pasuk in Malachim Aleph chapter 10, by Yas HaMelech Stolo Kisei, that, the, that the, the King Solomon made a throne. So it says it like this, 
There the Mary says that when they brought the witness in front of Shlomo, there was a machine there that played. Machina. Galgalos Chosim. It had wheels that went back and forth. And Ayoras Naamim Noshim Nishorim Pachim. And there were eagles that flew. This is what it says. In order to scare the witnesses. So it says. Rabbi the Bear Moshe says that, Mo, that King Solomon, it's not very clear here whether he used uh, magic or whether he used uh, the name of Hashem, which is not our discussion for this evening, in order to make the lion speak. Or King Solomon, he was the wisest of the wise. Perhaps maybe he knew how to create. That's what it sounds like from the, the language of the Medrash of the Yalkut. Perhaps maybe he knew how to fashion a, a machine. And he would press a button and then the machine would, uh, would talk, like we have today. That the lion would speak and roar uh, when the witness would come in order to scare the witnesses to make sure they tell the truth. So says uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Moshe Stern, perhaps maybe we can bring a proof from this that one is allowed to use a lie detector. Why? Because to scare the witnesses. Why? Because we're going to say to the witnesses, listen, if you tell the truth, give all it. But if you lie, we'll know that you're lying because we're going to give you afterwards a lie detector test. And we're going to give you a lie detector test that's going to say you're lying or you're telling the truth. And therefore, this way we scare the witnesses. You see that Shlomo Melech used a device to scare the witnesses. And you see you're allowed to scare the witnesses because you're allowed to, the, the, the Gemara tells us in tractate... Um, Sanhedrin on page 37 they get a lot of tell the witnesses uh, all kinds of things in order to make sure that they tell the truth so you see a lot of scare the, the witnesses so perhaps maybe you could use a lie detector to scare the witnesses and you're going to find out that they're lying if they don't tell the truth yeah that's easy. What? What do I say? What do you I say? I say the lion didn't, does, does, uh, a statue, an idol, cannot roar. You say it doesn't roar. Okay. No. It's not our discussion for this evening, but it's sufficient that, that the, the Yalkut says that he was able to to uh, make a machine. We can make a machine today that roars. We can make a lion. We have toys. You can buy toys around. Today. Today, yeah. Shomar Melch was the wisest of all men. Is, is the lie detector test valid? No. He says that the lie detector test, according to the experts, can't be wrong. But there is a reasonable doubt. I don't know. This is the American law. Listen. But they say... says... No. I, I know it's not admissible. I know it's not admissible in American law, but... He says the experts say that the machine is accurate. That's not true. I don't believe that. Okay, so it could be the machine is not accurate. Our assumption is accurate. So if it's not accurate, it's not accurate. You fool the machine. But, it, but if you could fool the witnesses by telling them that they were going to know that they're telling the truth. You didn't fool the witness. What? Why, the witness, why, why, would the, why, would you, why would the witness lie? Why would the witness lie? Ah, oh, why would the witness lie? The witness would lie because the defendant gave him a house in Maui. That's why the witness is good. That's why he's going to lie. That's not, not a legitimate witness. He also gave him a, a, he gave him a convertible Bentley. This is not a... This is not <laughs> and $100,000 spending cash. This is not a man... This is not a witness who has ethics. 
Yes, it's not a witness who has ethics, but this witness knows that the Torah says that if two witnesses come and testify, we, ex- we have to accept their testimony if we don't find any inconsistencies, because that's the law of the Torah. So what's oh, to stop didn't find in their testimony? This is different. What do you what Because you're, you're cross-examining, the, you're, you're doing... You never had a witness perjure himself. You never had such a thing in court, of course. But, but, you, but they found out that he was perjured. Not always. But the thing they didn't find out about is the one they didn't find out about. Of course they found out about it, because that's the one they found out about. Oh, but yeah. the one they didn't find out about, now he's sitting in Maui, in his house. And nobody knows anything about it. So what was the, the new owner, the new owner who bought the bird from PetSmart? What was his name? Adam? I don't know his name. His name was not Adam. His name How was the Adam. If it, because if it, he doesn't say you're right, but if his name was the Adam, then it would be no case. We would have but no case. Have, but that's the whole point. It's right. We can talk about it. Let's talk about it. So no, the, 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 uh, the first owner, his name was Adam, but the second one, we don't know. Hey. Right, you don't know. But it could be Adam. Right, it could be, but if it would be, I would think it would not but be a question. you argue about okay. it. Okay, so says Rabbi Stern. Fine, fine. So says Rabbi Stern now. Says Rabbi Stern like this. Our BMS, the truth is, This is not this is not exactly our question. We're not looking exactly for this question. Why? Of course, you're allowed to scare the witnesses and intimidate them in order to make sure that they tell the truth. That's for sure. What about after they testify? Or at the time that they testify? Can we suspect that they're lying? Can we say that the machine is telling us that they're lying? Are we allowed to, after the testimony or during the testimony, to try to figure out whether or not telling the truth? From Shlom HaMelech, we don't have any proof. Because Shlom HaMelech, before the testimony, used the lions. Before the testimony, he used the eagles or whatever he used, the machine or this. But during the testimony and after the testimony, he didn't use anything. So therefore, we can't bring a proof from Shlomo that we can use the lie detector because the lie detector is during the testimony and after the testimony. So, fine, you could use the lie detector before the testimony. But who said you could use the lie detector after? You could say you're going to use You could tell him, you're gonna, I'm going to use the lie detector. But who said that you... Who said that you can use the lie detector during. That we don't have a proof. So Shlomo Melech is not a proof at all. Right? That's what he says. Now, the case is like, that. There, he, he says that it, the truth is he does, want, he does want to bring a proof that from tractate Sanhedrin, he has a lot of different other sources, but he wants to bring a proof from tractate Sanhedrin on page 32, he wants to bring a proof that one is allowed to use a lie detector for, uh, for testimony. In which case, he says like this. The Gemara here on page 32 is discussing on whether or not, what is the difference between uh, court cases that have to do with the death penalty and court cases that have to do with monetary issues. Right, so what do we call that? The uh, small claims court or the civil court versus criminal court. What are the differences between them? So the, the Gemara says the truth is there is no difference between them. 
The truth is, there is no difference between them. In other words, both of them, it says in the Torah, Mishpat Echad There'll be one law for the both of them. And therefore, both, uh, it says in, 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 in uh, the Mishnah, quotes as in, in Vayikra 24, that Mishpat Echad There'll be one, there'll be one um, uh, law for the both of them. Which means what? That the, what we call that there is Drisha Vechakira, which means the probing of the witnesses to make sure that their testimony is correct is not really required by civil law. The civil law is a little bit more lenient in the examination of the witnesses than it is in criminal law. Why is that? Because by civil law, if the cases would be too tough, business, it would, it would, the economy would, uh, would stall. Therefore, we have to be a little bit lenient. That's a Gemara discussion, not for now. But, in the midst of this, the Gemara says like this. Rav Papa says that there is such a thing as called a Din Miroma. What's a Din Miroma? Din Miroma, Rashi explains, that uh, a Din Miroma, Rashi explains, is the following Din. It should bezin makirin bitabeyazeshu ramai. The bezin, what happens if the plaintiff is known to be a liar? Or, I don't know if he's known to be a compulsive liar, but the plaintiff, Rashi says, is known to be a charlatan. That's such an honest guy. He's suing somebody, right? Oh, they understand that what he's saying has a ring of lack of truth to it. That's, that, that's such a case. In such a case, you're allowed to probe the witnesses as much as you want, even to the point, says the Gemara, to, of civil law. Even to, the, even to the point of where you would do of the level of, of criminal law. The same way that you would do criminal law, you would probe the witnesses. In this case, when you suspect that there's foul play, then you can go after witnesses also the same way in the... In the, in the, in the um, in this law, we used to, we used, uh, of civil law, as you do in criminal law. Says Tosos here, It's not that we know that he's a liar, because if we know that he's a liar, there's no case. Because if we know that he's lying about the case, then what is there to talk about? He's a liar, says Tosos. This, like we say, the Gemara says in Shavuos, 30 b You should distance yourself from lies. Therefore, it's not that we understand that he's a liar. It's that we suspect that he's a liar, says Tosis. But if we understood that he's a liar, then uh, there would be nothing to talk about. Okay? So therefore, what do we see from here? We see that if independently, the witnesses themselves in the case don't necessarily perjure themselves, or they don't necessarily are their 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 um, their testimony is not necessarily inconsistent. But we just know that they're lying. Then we're not going to judge the case. Says Rabbi Stern that if that is the case, then I say that since the lie detector tells us, this is on the assumption that the lie detector does tell us. The truth, no pun intended, if the lie detector is telling us that they're lying, right? So then if that's the case, we know that there's something is up, we can throw out the whole case. That's what he says. Right? If we understand that, that the, the, 
um, his claims are that of a charlatan. Certainly, we're not going to judge this. And the, the lie detector creates for us a question. The lie detector creates for us a question that this person is lying. Once the lie detector creates for us a question that the person is lying, in that case, how are we going to go on? Okay, so the witnesses come and say, let's say in our case with the parrot, the witnesses come and say, the parrot is his, or the parrot is the other guy's. Comes along the lie detector and says one of the other guys is lying, or the witnesses are lying. How are we going to continue with the case? If the lie detector is telling us something. So even though we might not know, essentially, from the testimony of the witnesses, the inconsistency of the witnesses, or whether they're telling the truth or whether they're lying, right? So what? The lie detector says they're lying. This is enough to say we don't want to judge the case because maybe this person is lying. And therefore, Rabbi, Rabbi Stern says that a lie detector, he wants to say, is sufficient enough in order to tell us that we should throw out the case and not judge it. To stay away from us based upon this Tosos. So, it seems like, and we have to do more research on the subject, but it seems like that, it seems like that, that this would be acceptable. Unlike American law, a lie detector would be sufficient, at least not to, as proof, but as a testimony to the people involved that they're not telling the truth and therefore to throw out the case. Okay? That's what it seems like. That, that seems to be the bare Moshe's opinion. But only one of them is lying. So how can you throw... You can only throw... You, can, you have to make a ruling against the one who is lying. No, the witness is right, so the ruling is going to be proof. We need proof. So you can't throw it out. You can't. The witnesses to us are not proof. The case will be decided by possession. Whoever has possession is the owner of the item that's disputed. That's what we're going to have to decide. This, these witnesses that are coming here are not sufficient for us. These witnesses, that's what Tosa says in one of, the, one of the expressions of Rashi, that if we know for sure that the person is lying, then uh, we're not going to accept the case. How do you determine whether um, how do you determine that if it's hearsay that somebody is a charlatan? That's not enough. That's not hearsay is not enough. But a lie detector is more than hearsay. No. Well, that's what we have to dispute. You want to dispute the lie detector? Fine. Yeah. If we say that the lie detector is nothing, then it's like a flip of a coin. Then we have nothing to talk. This is on the assumption that the lie detector is something. So you want to tell me the lie detector is not something? Fine. I can accept that. I don't know. You know, we have to have sufficient scientific evidence to take a poll uh, amongst the quote-unquote experts to tell us whether it's telling us the truth. People swear by the lie detector. I don't know. But it's been proven wrong. Fine. So if it's been proven wrong, then it's not admissible. Okay. Now, but he says that if it's not proven wrong, even though it's not proof... <laughs> Wait a minute. If it's not proof, even though it's not proof... Is it, is right, because I'm saying like this. The lie detector, the lie detector is telling us that it's lying. But the lie detector is not telling us the testimony against the case. Therefore, it would be inadmissible as proof, but it would be admissible to discredit those that are talking about it. Right? 
But the end result is it can't be you. The end result is going to be uh, in favor of uh, somebody. Yeah, that's true. That the lie detector cannot be used. Now, in our case of the parrot, in our case of the parrot, we have, there is another issue. And the issue is, is that if a person goes into a person in court and says, listen, you owe me $1,000. And the other guy says, no, I don't owe you $1,000. So in that case, the plaintiff can make the defendant swear that he's telling the truth. It's called a shvuasesis. According to the law, somebody who claims and, does, and denies, the defendant denies the entire claim, Absolutely the entire claim. He doesn't say, I owe you a dollar, or I owe you $10, or I owe you $500, or I paid you already. He denies the entire claim. In that case, the plaintiff can make him swear that he is telling the truth. Okay? So therefore, in the case of the parrot, where the guy says, it's my parrot because it's calling my name, and the other guy says, it's my parrot because I bought it and I don't care if it's calling your name. So we said, the fact that the parrot is calling the plaintiff's name is not sufficient evidence or testimony to prove that the parrot is the plaintiff's. And therefore, the parrot will remain in the possession of the defendant because the defendant has possession of the parrot and possession is the proof of his ownership. Right? However... If the plaintiff wants to make the defendant swear that it's his parrot, it is his prerogative to do so. And the plaintiff, the defendant has to swear that it is his parrot in this case. Okay. Now, what happens if we administer the lie detector, the detector test to either the plaintiff or the defendant, not the witnesses involved in the case? If we administer the lie detector test to the parrot, it doesn't matter, because we're not listening to him anyway. But what happens now if we administer the lie detector test to the plaintiff or the defendant? That's the next responder that the bear motion deals with. Okay? So, the, 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 the bear motion is not talking about the parrot case, because he's not talking about the parrot case. His case is just that one person claims from the other that he owes the money and he denies it. I'm applying it to the parrot case because essentially that's the same thing. A parrot is money. That's what it is. It's a possession that's worth money. So, since we're throwing out the parrot's own testimony, therefore it's no different than claiming that you owe me this money and him denying it. So I'm applying the, I'm applying the parrot case to the next question. Now, so it says like this. What happens if the machine says that the plaintiff is saying the truth, not the plaintiff, sorry, the defendant, now help me stay with this because I'm going to lose my, uh, I'm going to lose my mind here. The defendant is telling the truth and the, and the right, the machine says that the defendant is, is, is telling the truth. What do we do in that case? What? What do you say? No, let's say, let's say, right, the, 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 the plaintiff says, you owe me $100, or you owe me $1,000, you owe me the parrot. And the defendant says, no, I don't. So we give a lie detector test to the defendant, and the lie detector says he's telling the truth. 
does can the can the plaintiff still make the defendant swear that he's telling the truth, or is the lie detector sufficient that he doesn't have to swear because the lie detector says he's telling the truth? But we already established that the lie detector is not uh, sufficient. No, we did it. We did two minutes. Ago. We said that the lie detector is enough to create a doubt that we will that we will throw the case out. But here, here we don't have any proof. All we have is the lie detector test. And the lie detector is uh, telling us something. Okay? But it's not conclusive. I, that's your assumption. That's your assumption throughout the discussion. I'm not saying that it's well, conclusive. If it was conclusive, then, then you wouldn't have to ask the guy to swear. It's not, that, that's the question. That's the question. Do we ask the guy to swear? This further speaks about the lie detector. If the lie detector is, is conclusive, then you don't need him to swear. Why? Why? Because you're using the lie detector. Right. This is the question. Now we administer the lie detector to the, to the plaintiff, and the lie detector says the plaintiff is lying. But now what? But the lie detector machine has been proven that it, it's not... It's not uh, um, Because it creates a, a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. It's not conclusive. It's not a. It's not usable. Here's the rest of the case. Here's the rest. Here's how this goes through. Okay. Listen to the rest. Now he says like this. The answer to this question is like this. He says, "What happens if we have one witness testifying to the defendant? Now, in a case where I come and I say I owe you a thousand dollars." The defendant says, no, I don't owe you $1,000. Now, how many witnesses do you need to prove that the defendant does not owe anything? Two. What happens if there is one witness that comes and says the defendant is telling the truth? Okay, not enough. Not enough. So this is a dispute. Now, okay, it's not enough testimony to absolve the defendant. The question is, is it enough to absolve the defendant from swearing? It's not enough. If, let's say, if the plaintiff had two witnesses that the defendant owes him $1,000, then the defendant would have to pay. The defendant does not have two witnesses. The plaintiff does not have two witnesses. Instead, the defendant has one witness that he's telling the truth. But, two witnesses, but he needs two witnesses. Is one witness sufficient no. to say that he does, the defendant does not have to swear? Or can the plaintiff still make the defendant swear? Yes, he can. Okay. This is a dispute. This is a dispute amongst the Rishonim. The Ramah says that he still has to swear. The Ramban says, if it's, well, it depends what kind of oath it is. If it's a Torah oath, he still has to swear. If it's a rabbinical oath, he doesn't have to swear. The Maram, the Rutenberg, the Rosh, and the Tur all say that he doesn't have to swear at all. Says Rabbi Stern, now, whether you like this or not, but this is what he says. Says Rabbi Stern, I hold that the lie detector test is no different than one witness that comes to testify for or against the defendant or for the plaintiff. The lie detector is the same thing as one witness because in the same way that one witness is not conclusive evidence on either side, but at the same time, one witness is swearing 
no pun intended, uh, that that one party owes the other party or vice versa. How can we ignore that? So to the lie detector is no different than that. One minute, one minute, one second, one second. right? That's what he wants to say. He wants to say that the lie detector is the same as one witness. And therefore, therefore, if the lie detector says that the defendant is telling the truth, that according to those opinions that say that he doesn't have to swear, he doesn't have to swear. Because the lie detector is no different than one witness. And certainly if the lie detector is telling us that the, uh, the plaintiff is lying. Then you have one witness that's saying that the plaintiff is lying, and you have one witness that's saying that the defendant is telling the truth. Then in that case, for sure, he doesn't have to swear. So it's not sufficient evidence in order to make one person pay or the other person not pay, but it is sufficient enough to get rid of the oath. That's what uh, Rabbi Stone wants to say. That is, that is Kiddush. Well, but the only problem with your with your analysis is that. Do you mind if we? I just want to. We're running out of time, so after this we'll discuss okay, this. Okay. Right time. Just I want to conclude. And now we have the following question. Says uh, Rabbi Stern. Uh, uh, yeah, the bare motion. Says the bare motion. We have the following question. What happens if we test a lie detector and it shows that? That the defendant, I'm sorry, that the plaintiff is telling the truth, and the defendant says, I don't want to take the test. What happens then? Right? So he says like this The defendant has the right to say, I don't want to take the test, and we can't make him take the test. He can refuse to take the test. Because, why should he take it? There's no law in the Torah that says that he has to take a lie detector test. Therefore, he can say, I'm not taking it. And since he's not taking it, even though the lie detector test tells us that the, that the, the plaintiff is saying the truth, right? We don't know what the, whether the defendant is lying or not. Right? That's what he says. And therefore, since the defendant has possession of the item, he doesn't have to relinquish that item, because the possession is nine-tenths of the law. However, if the defendant says, I'm telling the truth, I don't mind taking a lie detector test, I'll take one, sure, no problem. And then he takes the lie detector, and the lie detector says that the defendant is lying. Right? So what do we do in that case? So he says like this. In that case, then we got an issue. Because, and this, with this we're going to conclude, this is the last case. What happens if, I, if a person says, lends money to somebody for 30 days? After 15 days, he comes to that somebody and he says, Give me the $1,000 you owe me. I want to collect early. And the person says, I paid you already. In that case, we say he's for sure lying. Because we have a chazaka in other parameters, mana. We know that if a person borrows money for 30 days, there's no way they're never going to pay it back early. Never happened that a person who borrowed money is paying back early. So if he's for sure lying, 
Therefore, he can't claim I paid it already. At the end of the deferred 30 days, he has to pay it. So over here also, if the machine says, he says, that the defendant is telling the truth. I'm sorry, that the plaintiff is telling the truth. And the defendant is lying. In that case, that is the same as uh, this chazaka, that there's no way that the machine would say that this guy told you the other guy's lying. In that case, you would have to pay. Now, he says, as far as criminal justice, the lie detector test, I'm talking about the death penalty, there is no, it, it's not admissible because we don't, we don't give out, we don't give out, um, we don't give out the death penalty in Jewish law today. In the future when Mashiach comes, he says, in the future when Mashiach comes, the lie detector test for criminal justice will not be necessary. Why not? Because there will not be people who will sin. Why? Because in the future, everybody will be learning Torah. And the Torah will cover the people of the earth the same way that the oceans cover the ground of the earth. I in Tershishonim says on page 13a in Tractate Yuma, starting with the words Halacha, in the name of Rabbeinu Ari, who heard this in the name of Rabbeinu Chaim, that in the future this will not be necessary. So in conclusion, in conclusion of our discussion today, the uh, parrots, parroting uh, facts um, is uh, inadmissible in court under any circumstances, unless testimony is not necessary. If testimony is not necessary, then according to some opinions, which we don't pass to like Allah, uh, this might be admissible in court. As far as the lie detector test is concerned, the lie detector itself is not approved, but in certain cases, it does create a shadow of a doubt where the court can throw away the case. What we're left with in this, I guess we're out of time, and we don't have time to discuss right now, and that is, is other forms of proof admissible in court, such as recordings, tape recordings, uh, cl- uh, closed-circuit video cameras that uh, record, that since the Torah says that witnesses are necessary in order to prove facts in court, are these things admissible to prove murder, robbery, and the such, um, by other methods. Hopefully, Mr. Shem, we will discuss that in a future time. Thank you. I'm going to show you.